Spring of Life Fellowship and the vision of changing the world invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Let's listen to our guest. Praise the Lord. Good evening. Church, how are you tonight? I'll tell you that you're... Pastors are amazing hosts, and um, all the weight that I've lost before I came to Miami, and I was really in good shape, I, I cannot hold that testimony any longer. Um, I've gained so much, I feel like I, every hour I've got to eat here somewhere, somehow. And he says, taste this, and then taste that, and this is a Cuban specialty, and this is a Miami specialty, and... Um, so I'm going to be a carrier of specialties back home. Um, <laughs> no, um, seriously, I've, I've been well fed, but I've been just so loved and appreciated. And uh, thank you so much for your open hearts. Uh, you are a true extension and a true expression of your pastors. And uh, I just I love you for it. I think it's very honorable to your leadership in uh, the way you treat me, and uh, so thank you from the bottom of my heart just for spoiling me, for making me feel like a king. Um, that's every one of you, so just really, really awesome. Thank you. Amen. You know, the Lord is a filler. He fills the ark. He fills throughout the Bible. He would always fill the upper room. He would fill our hearts and um, throughout the Bible, you can see that principle. And um, what, what helps us when we understand that principle is that we make room for Him to fill it. If we don't make that room, then what happens is we, we haven't got capacity to fill. And so tonight in worship, I, I love the prayerfulness, I love the anointing, because I felt that it was filling the room as you guys made made room for him to be filled. And that's really, really tremendous. I don't want to keep you very long. I just wanted to say also I'm very honored to be a part of this month-long celebration. Um, it's truly a family affair, I think, in many ways. And so that's a great joy to, and a great honor to be a part of that. And um, I'm also wanted to say that the what is man, um, I don't even want to call it campaign, but what is man, emphasis, revelation, I think also is a vessel that God wants to fill. And uh, I think it's going to take every one of you, men, women, and child, uh, to really have all hands on deck in prayer, in confession over it, in commitment, in time, in dedication, in resources, um, because truly it's going to, I believe, impact the globe. I think, honestly, um, I'm not saying this to flatter your pastor or anybody, but I truly believe that it contains a message that is so timely right now that it will be a forerunner, a message that will change hearts and lives uh, that will impact families, schools, universities, corporations, uh, churches, and communities, uh, even nations and governments. And I, I think it's endless to see what God wants to do with yes. this. So my expectations are high. I'm very blessed to be a part of it in, in, in some shape, fashion, or form. Anyway, I can serve the vision. Um, but I want to just encourage you and, and um, 
challenge you maybe even to one point. Uh, go, go the second mile. Go beyond. Don't be, don't be a spectator. Be a participator. See how can you be a part of this. And ask God with all sincerity of heart, how can I be a part of this? What do you want me to do? Um, how much do you want me to give of my time, my talent, my treasure, so that I can go ahead and be a part of that? I think every, every one of you should have, you know, four or five copies in your car with you that when you travel, that you keep sowing that, keep sowing, because as you sow, you will reap. Absolutely. And the more you begin to start speaking the message, which I believe is going to become probably a, a vision message of this church, I think the more you rehearse that and the more you give that out, the more it will also reflect back into your life and you can reap it in your own personal life as well as your family and, of course, the community you're going to be touching with that. So be prepared. Position yourself for God to use you. And that's something I've learned with your pastor, just being with him. Uh, he's, he's got a whole case of them in the car. And he's always walking around expecting to meet someone to talk to and to give that. And so... Um, it's great. If today we even pulled off the road and spoke to a bunch of Jehovah Witnesses, and you know, um, it was wonderful to see the lawyer in action. I, I, it was a delight just to see that, even though I couldn't understand everything they were saying in Spanish, but um, I could tell, you know, with just putting it together what was going on, and uh, it was fun. I, I love that so much. All right, there uh, was a man that went to a ear specialist and he said, I'm very concerned about my wife. And so he said, well, what's the symptoms? Well, she just doesn't hear anymore. You know, I talked to her and there's no response. And so he says, well, um, let's go ahead and find out a little bit, you know, how deep the situation really is. And uh, so I'm going to encourage you, try and maybe ask a question from 20 feet away, then 15 feet, then maybe 10 feet and five feet, just so I can see the severity of this condition. So he said, okay, I will do that. And I'll get back to you, doctor. And um, he walks in the back door at home and he could see through the hallway and dining room, he could see that there was his wife in the kitchen. And so he closed the door, the garage, and he says, honey, what's for dinner? And there was no response, and so he makes his way through the laundry room closer, and he says, honey, what's for dinner? And, you know, still there was no response from the kitchen, and so he's getting close to the dining room. He's about maybe 10 feet away. He says, honey, what's for dinner? And uh, still she didn't turn around, give him an answer, and so finally he's standing in the kitchen right behind her about five feet. He says, honey, what's for dinner? And she turns around and says, for the fourth time, lasagna. <laughs> I think sometimes we get so concerned in trying to fix other people and even go to the specialist to try and fix other people that we don't really realize <laughs> that the fault is not so much with that person, but the fault is with us. And I think if you've been married for more than two weeks, you understand that it's impossible to change another person. Uh, you can change yourself, but you cannot change somebody else. And um, I want to kind of continue on the same lines of the heart. Uh, it came out of a series called The Orphan's Heart, and maybe tonight we can entitle it A Whole Heart, A Complete Heart. So 
The heart is really the nuclear power plant. It is the brain, the decision center of your life. And when it is full of the right stuff, it's going to bring forth good things. We saw that scripture in Matthew where it says that the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And the one that's, you know, the, the, the evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. And what we kind of concluded of that is to say, well, it's not just the good and the evil, but we can even personalize that by saying, okay, the lazy man out of a lazy heart will bring forth laziness, right? And the critical man out of the critical heart will bring forth criticism. The generous man out of the generous heart will bring forth generosity. And so we see that we decide what goes into our hearts and what we build into our hearts will give us the tools to actually have a successful and fulfilled life. So the more of the Bible, the more of the scriptural principles and the principles of life that we put into our hearts, the more we have the tools to live a godly life. God is not going to change your attitude for you. God is not going to go ahead and say, okay, you know, you woke up with, you know, a bad attitude. Let me fix that for you. No, we fix that. We change that in our hearts. We make the adjustments. It's not something that God controls. I had a man come to me once and he said to me, he says, you know what, I believe uh, a little different than you. I believe that every, no, I believe that God is in charge and in control of everything. I said, well, does he, do you mean with that to say that he's in charge of your life, that he rules everything? Absolutely. I said, well, if that be true, then everybody in my church will tithe. But that's not true. We have a choice. We have a free will, and we choose based upon the information that we have. And the information we have is in our heart. And the heart is made up of my spirit and of my mind, my will, my emotion, my soul. Now, the more renewed my mind is, the more I can make a mind renewed or a biblical decision. The more that my will is submitted to God and not my will but His will be done, the more that's established in my life, the more I will do His will. My emotions, the more my emotions are the product of the way I live and conduct myself, which is completely connected to the way my mind is renewed and my will is submitted. If my will is not submitted, my mind is not renewed, or let's say 80% of it is, that means only 80% of my emotions will be stable. If it's 10%, then only 10% of my emotions will be stable. Can you see that? So the emotions is like the thermometer, and your mind and your will is the, what's it called on the wall? The thermostat, thank you. So the thermostat determines the temperature. Does that make sense? So this is the thermostat, all right? And to have this in my mind being renewed, and my thoughts are heavenly thoughts, and then my attitude in my heart is also the word, then my emotions will reflect godliness. That means I will not be tossed to and fro by every emotion as it comes, but I will actually be stable and consistent. 
If your life is not stable and consistent with your emotions, if you are still swinging on the pendulum from left to right and you go from one crisis to the next crisis and just the smallest little alarm or the smallest little uh, panic that comes across or, or problem challenge that comes across really throws you off, that means you are led by your emotions. That means your mind and your will, your heart basically is not stable. Does that make sense? All right. Now, let's go a little deeper into this. Go to Luke, the 17th chapter. Luke, the 17th chapter. Let's have a look at verse 20. Um, Luke, all right. Luke 20, what did I say? No, Luke 17 and verse 20. Luke 17, verse 20, the Bible says... Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. The kingdom does not come just by looking. The kingdom does not come just by sitting in the pew and observing. It's amazing. When you look at a a stadium, and we had the privilege to go see a, a, a basketball game the other day, and uh, <laughs> there was a few controversial calls by the referee. And it's funny how the referee, who is the closest, who is right there next to the incident, how 10, 15, 20,000 people have a different opinion. And they can do it much better than the guy that's actually in the game, right? They went through all the training, they went through... But it's amazing how the participator, the spectator, always have a louder opinion than the participator. It's true in the basketball court. It's true in the churches. It's true in families. It's true in many different ways. It's amazing how the, how the employees in, around the lunch table in, in the, the lunchroom have a stronger opinion about the corporation should be handled and how it should be done than the guys actually around the board table making decisions. It's always like that, all right? It's always that the neighbors and your family friends outside of your immediate family always have a higher opinion what you should do with your family than the guys actually sitting around the kitchen table in your home. Isn't that true? We're going to be very careful with that, that we as churches that we sitting in, in congregations, that we don't have a higher opinion than maybe those that are making the decisions in the church. Let's take it a little bit further, a little more relevant. Just recently, all of you heard that um, one of the pastors not too far from here fell into indiscretion, fell into sin. It's amazing how many opinions are flying around because we all know better. Even though we did not live in that marriage for the last 10 years, the last five years. You listening? So we've got to be very cautious in how we talk and what we talk and how we say, because the Bible also says that with our words, we will be snared. We are caught with the, we build a web, a net with our words, and we trip over it and we catch ourselves in our words. That's why gossip is so bad. An old man, an old wise man had a, had a young man visit him. And this is a, happened in, in, in the Chinese hills. And 
Um, it's a Chinese proverb, and this young man came and said, listen, uh, uh, old man, I've, I've, I'm seeking your wisdom because I've, I've talked bad about my neighbor, and what shall I do? And the old man said, here, take this chicken and go home, and every step you do is just pull out one of the feathers of the chicken or one of the, not feathers, do they have chip feathers? Yeah, feather feathers. And uh, anyway, and then come back in the morning with the chicken. So he came back and he brought the chicken back. And then the old wise man said, now go back and collect all the feathers and put them back on again. He says, I can't do that because the wind has taken to all the corners of the earth. And so have your words traveled all over. That's what's so important that we, that we don't let our words and our opinions come so strong because they can destroy us, not so much where it was sent to. So he says here, the kingdom is not just in your opinion, in observation. Look what it says in verse 21. Nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. In other words, let me just say this a little bit in the Desmond Frey version. The kingdom of God is in your heart. The kingdom of God is in your heart. The way your heart is functioning is the way you will see the kingdom. The way you see the kingdom is the way you'll be involved in the kingdom. So the kingdom that you project from your heart, if it's a healthy kingdom, you will want to be involved with it. But if you are projecting with your mouth a kingdom that is not healthy, that is dysfunctional, you will not want to be associated with it. Let me say it differently. You will not be able to give yourself wholeheartedly to a vision of a church that you criticize sometimes. You cannot with joy tell your family and your, your kids, oh, let, let's go to the church, let's, let's be a part of it, we love it. If you criticize the music, the service, the whatever in the car on the way over here, you cannot have a unhealthy heart and speak health over a situation. You cannot go ahead and make jokes about your wife with your buddies at work and then at the same time call her your princess at home. It doesn't work. I used to do that. The first five years of our marriage, I learned from the best from my father. And he was a jokester, still is, he's 86 years old, and he still makes jokes with people around him. And so that was just the way I was raised. And so you make jokes about people because in that subtleness of the, um, uh, uh, what's that, that type of humor? The, um, yeah, uh, um, hmm? sarcasm, thank you. The, the, the type of humor in sarcasm means I'm going to say something jokingly, but I really meant it. You know what I mean? I'm going to say something as I was only joking, but really the message is already spoken. And sarcasm, I think, is, is the, the, the humor of this generation. And I don't understand my kids sometimes. They say, Dad, Dad, watch this video clip about, you know, this comedian. And I'm, 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 I'm looking at on YouTube and I'm listening, you know, and they are laughing. It's so funny. And I'm watching this and they, I, I didn't catch it. I'm sorry. I just, and, and they look at me like, Dad, this is funny. I said, I said, I don't see it. I don't, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> I don't see it. But they are laughing. It's just a complete different thing. But here's the, the point what I'm trying to say. We're going to be careful how we speak. Because the way we speak 
is the kingdom that we project. The Bible also says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. So if I hang around with you for a while and I'm listening to what you are saying, you, what you're really doing is you are painting to me the view of the kingdom of God that you have in your life. And I know exactly to what level of kingdom that you are living. Turn to your neighbor and say, I think I know who he's talking to. Just go ahead and tell him that. I think I know who he's talking to. All right. Now, Proverbs 4 and verse 20. Proverbs 4 and verse 20. You still breathing out there? All right. You know, with me, you can say amen. I'm not sure about your pastor, but with me, you can say amen. You can throw water at me, jump on the chairs. Just engage. That'll be awesome. All right. Proverbs, look at 4 and verse 20. I love this verse. Well, these next few verses. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes and keep them in the midst of your heart. Why? For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. And look the very next verse. That's why it doesn't matter what comes out of your mouth. Is that what your Bible says? No, it says, put away from you a deceitful mouth. What's a deceitful mouth? A deceitful mouth is when the words don't correspond with the heart. When you're saying one thing with your lips, but something else you believe in your heart. And put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right hand or the left. Remove your foot from evil. But the main point there I want you to see is that you've got to keep your heart with all diligence because out of it are the issues of life or out of it comes the life that you want to live. Not about you, but that is clear instruction. That is not confusing. It is, it is not uh, uh, misleading. It tells you if you want to have the right life, put the right things in your heart. All right? Now, let's have a look at a few things here. Um, Luke 4 and verse 18 talks about the broken heart. He's come to heal the broken heart. He's come to heal the, the, the orphan heart. He's come to heal the heart that doesn't have father or mother, a heart that doesn't have the nurturing of a mother and the correction of a father. See, a father is the lawgiver. The father is the one that puts the white lines on the road. The mother is the one that puts the gas in the tank. So it's important that we have both sides of this. But a orphan's heart means it's somebody that is not engaged and the reason they're not engaged is because there's no one that taught them. There's no one that was able to reach into their heart and help them in their hearts and put the right things in their heart and feed them with the right things and help them to feed themselves. Now, our heart is really formed over our lifetime. In other words, what we've learned from teachers, what we've learned through our parents' house, what we've learned from other people who had influence, friends maybe, um, all these different things help us build up our hearts. 
You know, another way in saying it is that we, we have a backpack that we fill with certain things in our lives that we feel is important to us. And we believe them for a while or maybe for a long time, but we travel through life with them and we begin to realize later on, and usually it's every 10 years we check our backpacks. Every 10 years, people begin to start looking at like, okay, why am I doing what am I doing? Is this the right thing? That's why when people get off the path, I tremble because I know it may take 10 years until they go ahead and realize what they've done. And 10 years is a long time. Most people don't do that. Most people don't, don't go ahead and say, you know what, every month, let me check my heart. Or every other day, let me check my heart. Or let me go ahead and have somebody else speaking in my life and saying, Pastor, am I still, am I st- is my attitude still right? Sweetheart, at home, my wife, honey, is, is, am I still, do I still seem fresh to you? Is, it, is, is, is something stale in me? Am I, am I clear with my words? Am I, am I clear with my eyes? Can you see something in me? We, we don't live like that, most of us. But that's the best way to live. If you can be transparent and be accountable, because that's what will help you keep your heart checked and keep your heart with all diligence. All right. Um, I'm going to jump through this whole section in the middle that talks about how we collect certain things in our hearts. And it's, it's a whole different teaching, but it just shows us that we are like a magnet to certain things. That if we are fearfully minded, we attract negative things. If we are faith-minded, we attract the positive things. That we see other people and friendships that we build is based upon usually what we need or what we like. And so we've got to get around some people, not because we just like them, we hang around them, but let's find some people that can make a difference in our lives. And let's find some people who we can make a difference in their lives. All right, so I'm going to jump through all of that stuff, and let me give you some characteristics of an orphan heart, okay? Here's a few points that will just kind of describe uh, a person that has an orphan heart, that has a heart that was not fathered and mothered. What does it kind of look like? And maybe not all of these points are relevant, but at least some of them I'm sure. And um, let's see if maybe you know somebody far away from here that has these kind of conditions in their heart. Number one, they're spiritually weak. There's not a sense of faith or confidence in their heavenly father because they never really had maybe an earthly father. The father relationship is bruised. Number two, that they're hungry for attention, for approval, and they always want to have somebody validate them and, and affirm them. Number three, they're afraid of commitment. They may get excited about something and then they go ahead and change you know, and do something else. And then after a while, they, they, they are led to go somewhere else and do something else. And they, they're never really solid in their commitment. That can happen in churches, in marriages, in jobs, in different relationships. And before, they look for the quick fix. They're afraid of changing over long term. They want to have the microwave fix. They want to have it done right now. You know, kind of like the crime scenes on TV. In a half an hour, they change everything. They, they've solved the biggest crime in a half an hour. Well, that's not life. Number four, five, that they avoid the pain of reality by maybe getting into habits that are destructive, drugs, alcohol, sports, money, jobs, cars, whatever. They avoid, they try to sidetrack themselves with activities and and different things so they don't have to face reality. 
Number six, they cannot face truth because truth will always expose an orphan's heart. They have a hard time with truth. Number seven, uses, they use anger and, and, and hostility to cover up, up the weaknesses and the frustrations. In other words, if you get a little close to them, they'll lash out at you with anger because anger keeps you then at a distance and don't allow you to see their hearts. So you can get close to them, and if you get too close, they may do something to shock you to keep you at a distance. So like in the olden days when they had, you know, that ball with the nails out and the big chain, and they would just swing it. And so people that, that are loud and are obnoxious, what they're saying is, don't come close to my heart because I don't want you to see what's in my heart. And so they swing that big old weapon around so you don't get too close. Number eight, <clears throat> they run from one thing to another looking for what only a father can give them. Number nine, very afraid of failure. And they use success to validate their self-worth. Any success that they can have, they want to have that as the big poster outside because they want to cover up any failure that they had in their life. They don't know how to handle failure. And then number 10, questions and doubts that those who love them, those who are close around them and are sincere, that they really mean what they say. They doubt people. And it's unbelievable that you can stand close to a person, that you can say, I've been with you for years, and, and I've, I've showed you our friendship. You've been around our kitchen table. We've been on vacation together and all this. But the moment you start talking close to their hearts, they will not trust you. They will doubt you. Why? Not because they don't want to, not because they don't like what you're doing and how you're loving them, but their heart cannot handle the reality of that because the condition of their heart is not even ready or willing yet to do that. So that's kind of what you see in the characteristics of an orphan heart. Now, what, what really is important, of course, is that we change our hearts that we renew our minds. And there's two scriptures that are very important when it comes to renewing the mind because the mind is such a powerful thing when it comes to the heart. Now, if you look at um, Ephesians, and I think it's in, um, I just had it here for a second, Ephesians 4 probably. And um, yeah, Ephesians 4 verse 22. Ephesians 4 and verse 22. There's two main scriptures that talk about the renewing of the mind. And one is, of course, over in uh, Romans 12 and verse 2, which says, renew your mind, the transformation. And then over in Ephesians, we'll find the scripture in 4 verse 22 that talks about, let me just find this. It talks about the, um, I'm just trying to misquote this. Ephesians 4, look at verse 22. And then on to verse 24. Okay, verse 22. Um, look at verse 20. Let's back up there. Ephesians 4, verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off 
concerning your former conduct, the old lifestyle, the old life before Christ, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Notice that the old man wants to grow and develop. The old man wants to increase his influence that is lost. And look at verse 23. Here's how you do it. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, the spirit of your mind is the attitude of your mind, is the attitude, we talked about it last time, of being not just teachable, but correctable. Your attitude has to be, I want to change. This would be a bit of a crude example, but if I would stand before you or in a public place and speak publicly, and I would have my pants unzipped, I hope somebody would tell me. I hope that somebody would bring that correction to me, bring it to my attention so I can fix it and not embarrass myself, right? The same thing when it comes to things, the conditions of a heart. I hope that somebody is going to come and tell you and tell me that my attitude may have been out of line or that I'm, I'm too pessimistic or too doubtful or that I, I don't seem to trust people or any one of those conditions we talked about the orphan's heart. I hope somebody will point that out and that I would not swing my big weapon to keep you at a distance, but I will put that down and I will be not just teachable, but I want to be correctable. Even if I don't see it, even if I can't understand and think, no, you are wrong. That is not the way I am. Even if that is so, if that's the emotion in my heart, I will still take it to the Lord and say, Lord, this doesn't fit. I don't think it's right, but here it is. Did you send this person to expose us in my life or to speak this into my life? Is this a correction that comes from you? That is the spirit of my mind. That is the attitude behind changing. It's not just the mechanics of changing. That's over in Romans. We just go ahead and we exchange a thought or Corinthians where it says that we should take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. By the way, where it says they're casting down vain imaginations in, I think, 2 Corinthians, what's it, 4, somewhere there. Did you know what that means? <clears throat> to cast down, I want to try and see if I can grab this. To cast down vain imaginations. What that is is in the Greek there, there's two words, two, two Greek words that make up what's called a compound word. And the one word is called acne, and the other word is called heliskomai. Now, acne is a spear or a lance. And the spears and lances in those days were like, you know, with, with these hooks that went backwards. So that means if you were going to somebody's stomach and you would pull it back out, you would not just have a hole in there which he could survive, but the whole insides are being pulled out. So he cannot survive. That is the act of war. And Paul was talking to Corinthians, you know, at the prison. They had probably all these different guards around. And so he said, that is what you do. When you see a thought and you take the thought captive, you take that spear that has the reverse hooks on it, and then heliskamai means you take it and you violently use it. Violently. In other words, continuously and violently. So the picture is a very gruesome picture that he's painting here. And he wanted to get those people's attention. He says it's not just a thought that you say, ah, oh, I don't know why I'm keep thinking these unpopular thoughts. No, it's, whoa, that thought is not in the Bible. 
I'm going to cast you down. And you go nuts on that thought. It is not, this will help you so much, it is not a positive thought that conquers a negative thought. It's not the silent war. You don't stand there like, give this thought of, I don't know, stealing something. Hmm. It's, it's not that kind of a war. It is a positive word that defeats a bad thought. You will have to say something to change your mind. It's not just, all right, let me just think the good thoughts and think the happy thoughts. No, you have to say something with your mouth. That is what acne and heliskomai means when you're taking a captive. You actually speak over your mind. You speak to your thoughts and you say this. You say, that thought will never come to pass. I cast down this vain imagination. It does not line up with the Bible. I will not receive it. I resist it. I renounce it. I reject it. It will not take root and therefore will never bear fruit in my mind and in my life. That's what you say when those thoughts come in. If you don't arrest those thoughts and take care of those thoughts, if you don't take those thoughts, somebody else will. And those thoughts begin to start taking root. And the moment something takes root, it's solid. It's hard to pull it out again. And it becomes what that verse talks about. It becomes actually a fortress. It becomes something that is so strong in your life that it's very hard to take it out. And it's not just an easy removing and easy replacing. No, it's actually a stronghold, a fortress that has to be torn down and taken down. And that's going to be a whole different process to do. All right. So when you renew your mind, you know that God says and you know to choose to think his ways and his words. Now, when you have renewed the spirit of your mind, you have an attitude of teachableness and correctableness, then you... You, you almost in, intuitively, you go ahead and you change. You, you, you want to change. You, you, you look for change. It's not like you, you have your thought or your attitude, something is confronted, and you have to, have to, and you have to say, okay, now, uh, now what should I do with this? Let me see. I've got to go read the Bible. I've got to, I've got to call pastor now. Uh, what should I? No, you automatically, that's when the spirit of your mind is renewed, you automatically know it doesn't line up with God's word. I will reject it. I will take it away. Can you see that? That's what it's talking about here. It goes a little deeper than just the surface of the actual thoughts. All right, let me go ahead and, and kind of show you some steps to a whole heart. Let me go a few, few points, okay, and then we'll probably close with this and uh, just pray and see where we're at. All right, um, and here's just, again, I think, I don't know, seven or eight different points that will help you uh, to go ahead and just, how do, you, how do you build a whole heart? How do we build this heart that has such a good willingness to change? Number one is awareness. Awareness. We must examine ourselves and be honest about the issues of our hearts. We've got to be aware that God knows the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. Here's a great little, two great little points you can put down if you want to on your notes. Number one, if you can talk about 
an area in your life that you are not very proud of. If you can talk about it, then you have it. If you cannot talk about it, it has you. You are bound to something. It's become a fortress. It's become a stronghold in your mind if you cannot talk about it. But if you can talk about it, it is something that can be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's a good little guideline right there. Here's a second little guideline that will help you. If you are the only person that knows your secret, you're in trouble. If there are secrets in your life that only you know, you are already in trouble. You need to live at a level of freedom where you are transparent. Where Paul says in the Bible, my life is like a letter that can be read by all men. It's open. There's nothing that is covered. The person in my life that's the closest to me is my wife. And she knows everything about my life. She knows the hidden things. For the first five years, I kept some of those hidden things back. And I honestly believed as a young man, when I was 20, 25 years old, I honestly believed that just being married to her will take care of some of those things. That's what I believed. Surely some of my habits that I had as a teenager or in early 20s, surely those things will just go away because I've got this beautiful young lady next to me. <laughs> Wrong answer. Didn't work. So I tried to juggle this thing for the first five years of a marriage until I could not handle it anymore. And I went to my wife. I said, honey, I got these thoughts I can't control. And, and, and I, I, I'm seeing pictures that I shouldn't have seen years ago. I was 12 years old. And, and I said, all these things are happening in my life. I said, how do I handle with this? And you know what? And everything broke loose. It was like breaking the dam wall. And I mean dam like the river dam. You know what I mean? <laughs> Don't go tweeting and saying he was cussing in church. <laughs> broke that wall. <laughs> because I could not hold it any longer. It's like those guys in a circus with the plates. Swing the plates, you know, and you've got five plates. It's great, but what if you have 25 plates? You're going to lose some plates. You're going to have some dishes broken. Same thing there. So the awareness is know the pulse of your life. You can talk to any CEO. The effectiveness of his leadership is does he know the pulse of the vital signs of his corporation? One of the first things I do talking to a pastor when I coach them in the churches, I, I ask him, what are the vital signs of your church? Give me the statistics. Give me the numbers. Give me your heart. Give me, give me what you're saying is the vital signs. Let me see how well you know the sheep. That's the same thing with us in our lives. We need to have an awareness of where our hearts is at. We are going to be honest with ourselves and take the inventory. Number two. We need to choose daily to decide that we're going to change our hearts, that we're going to keep our hearts in check. Daily decision. And that's when you pray in the morning, when you see God, when you, when you go to Him in prayer and, and you really open your heart to Him. You lay your heart before Him. And you know what? You cannot trick God. He knows your heart before you even open your mouth to pray. <clears throat> Number three. We're going to confess our faults to release what is bad, 
to release what is not good in our lives. Confess it. Ed Cole used to say this. He says, sin leaves your body or leaves your life through your mouth. Sin will exit your life through your mouth. That means you've got to speak it out. You've got to, you can confess your faults to God and repent so you can be forgiven. The Bible says then confess your faults one to another so you can be healed. Just because you ask God to forgive you doesn't mean that you are free from something. Are you listening? Just because you confess something to God does not mean that you are free from something. If you go ahead and confess it to somebody else, that's when there's healing that, come, that, that, that takes place. I give this example too that, you know, um, Pastor Joaquin, is, he, he may have a, a, a great problem with donuts. And uh, every day he's going to have, you know, five, six, seven, eight donuts. And, and it's become a real issue in his life. And, and, and Mr. Vett has been, you know, praying about that, that, that sweet tooth of his. And so in the morning coming to church, you know, he always has to go past that bakery. And he smells the fresh donuts. And he says, I will not, I will not, I will not. You know, and so what happens is he, 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 he still pulls in, you know, and he looks at the window and he sees all the different displays and fresh and the smell and I will not, I will not, in Jesus' name, I will not. You know, it walks inside and looks at them and says, I will not, I'll take five of these. I will not, I'll take two of those. I will not. Sits in his car and eats them all before he gets to work because at work he does not want everyone to know that he has just eaten a dozen donuts. Now, I know he doesn't have this problem. <clears throat> here's, here's the thing about breaking some of these things, about confessing your faults to others to be healed. Here's, here's the point with anything in your life. Just to try and stop, just to say, I will not go there anymore, I will not do this anymore, takes a lot of discipline. Now, discipline, I don't know about you, is not the easiest thing. And most of us don't like discipline. Most of us don't do very well with discipline. That's why most people have the New Year's resolutions, and they say the latest by middle of February, it's all flat. Nothing's happening. Why? Because we have great intentions, but not great discipline. Now, accountability is what makes discipline so much easier. So if you would have an issue with whatever, and you say, okay, now every Saturday morning, you're going to sit down with pastor, and pastor's going to ask you all these tough questions about where you're at with your donuts. And the last question he always asks is, have you been completely honest with me? Now, many of you would not like that. Most of you would not want to sit with somebody and say, you know what, I'm sorry, I've eaten a dozen donuts again this week. Most of you didn't want to do that. But if you go and have the accountability and you sit with somebody and you stand at the window and you smell the donuts, you're going to start thinking, okay, do I just want to have a quick fix or do I want to sit with my pastor, with my accountability partner and actually say, okay, you know what? I was strong this week. We, we, we prayed together. We, we, we walked together. Your scriptures helped me uh, and, and I'm really, I'm overcoming this. So discipline has just become easier because of accountability. You men know that when it comes to the, the curriculum and going through those different things. All right. Then number three, number four, focus. 
That means we meditate and we think on godly thoughts. We renew our, our mind with the Word. Joshua 1 verse 8 says that the Word was in our hearts and in our mouths. That means we've got to speak the Word, we've got to think the Word, we've got to share the Word. That means we've got to go ahead and we've got to put it onto the mirror inside the bathroom, on the refrigerator, at your office computer, wherever you are, put the sticky notes and put the memory cards and different things out there, but keep the Word constantly in front of you. I've, I've found this out. You know what? I don't have to. I really don't have to look for the news every day. I don't have to dial into different, different news stations to see what the headlines are. You know why? Because some Christians are going to come and tell me all about the headlines. True. Or somebody at work. I work with mostly Christians. But I, I feel that, that someone's going to tell me about the news. And, I, and if it interests me, I go look. But it's, it's funny. I'd, I would rather drive in my car listening to a teaching, listening to worship, listen, filling myself with something in my, you know, in between times to make sure I can continuously get the word. You know, Sandy and I, we married 30 years next month, uh, next, next year. We are in our 29th year right now. And ever since before we got married, one of our, our, our most favorite pastimes is we, we, we share and exchange what we've learned in our personal Bible studies of that day. We've, we've always done this. Before we got married, we've, we still do it. Honestly, we do this four or five times a week. If not, even now, we're on Skype and we talk about, you know, man, I read this this morning. And, and honey, go to the scripture. I've never seen this before. And we, we talk about these things even today over all these years, and we're still excited about that because we are still hungry for the Word, and we love it, and it sharpens us together. Iron sharpening iron. I know what's in her heart. She knows what's in my heart. I preach her sermons. She preaches my sermons, and I say, you know, the Lord showed me this last week. Actually, Sandy got it, but the Lord showed it me through her, so no, anyway. It was, it's wonderful. We still do that, and that's part of having this this focus to, to focus on the Word, focus on the teaching. Both of us listen to probably, probably two, maybe sometimes even three teachings a day with these different podcasts. It's wonderful. I put them on one and a half or two double speed, and I can listen to a whole teaching in 20 minutes. Now, he may sound a little bit Chinese, but I can still get it. I can still understand it. It's amazing. I, I love those, those little features. But I get the word. I'm getting the word. It's the washing of the water by the word. And so much of it gets, it just sticks on me. And I go ahead and I share it with her. So keep that in your life. Keep the word of God fresh. Don't live off yesterday's revelation. Get the fresh manna daily. It makes a difference. All right. Number four, relationships. We could have a whole week just on this one. But we've got to build intimate relationships. And I want to be, just to clarify that, to build intimate relationships, which means I need to have some people around me that know the inner dealings of my heart. I want to be around some people, not everybody, but there needs to be some friends in my life I can be completely transparent with. And I can go to them and say, you know what? I'm struggling with this. I feel I'm being weak in this. I'm undisciplined in this area. I need to resurrect this in my life. I'm going to have some people that will not look at me and saying, really, after all these years, Desmond? Come on. I don't need to hear that. I need to hear like, you know what? I'm so glad you're honest. Let's pray. 
I'm going to call you twice a week. I want to, I want to make sure. Let's, let's talk on the phone. Let's, that's what I need. People that can build me up. That's an intimate friend. That's somebody who knows me, you know, not just on the surface, on the outside, but knows me much closer. We need to build and cultivate those people. Now, number six is to protect and to guard our hearts from old thoughts, old feelings, old ways of life, and old things. I've realized this. In the olden days, and I say olden days, before I really was committed to Christ and lived a Christ-centered life. In the olden days, I would have a certain lifestyle, I would think a certain way, and that was just the normal way of life, right? Now, if I go ahead and I stay out of prayer and I stay out of fellowship, you know what happens? Those old things, they play Lazarus on me. Every time, they just come back from the dead like zombies. They start walking again, and you kill them, and you put them down, and you kick them, and you bury them, and shoot them four times, you know, and then get your mind renewed. Whew, wonderful. And then you may be traveling a bit, or you're on vacation, or something else happens. You're in a convention with a company, you know, and you're about a few days out of prayer, and suddenly those things stand up again. They're coming towards you like, what happened? I just killed you last week. And the flesh will always be contending with you. The flesh will always try to resurrect the old things. So make sure that you protect your heart. Make sure you guard your heart. Guard your thoughts, your feelings, your behaviors. You know, sometimes you can maybe be so tempted to pick up an offense. And offenses are horrible. Offenses have probably killed more relationships than anything else I know. And an offense, you know what an offense means? An offense means when you take the hurt into your life and you say this, I have the right to be hurt. I have the right not to forgive this. Maybe not right now. Next week, yeah, but not right now. I'm, I'm going to enjoy this a bit here. And you are living in a toxic spiritual environment. And inside that, you know what happens? You are feeding the flesh. You are tearing down the renewed mind. And you're opening the doors to all these unrenewed things that from the old life come back up and start looking like, hey, I'm alive and well. And it's just because you are saying, I have the right to. You do not have the right for a negative attitude. You do not have the right of unforgiveness. You do not have the right to speak a bad opinion. You do not have that right. Yeah, but Desmond, you do not know what happened to me. No, but I know what happened to Christ, which was bigger than what happened to you. And his happening overtrumps your happening. And when you say Christ in me, the hope of glory, or greater is he in me than he that's in the world, you have just given him permission that his happening overtrumps your happening. And therefore, you have no right to be offended. No right. <clears throat> you died with Christ, and you were raised with him. Dead people have no opinions. Right? All right. Dead dogs don't bite. All right, number six, protect. I said, number seven, let's end with this one. Endure. Stay with it. Go the distance. Man, this is important. 
So many people, I feel like, just before they have breakthroughs, they give up. They must say, you know what, God? I've tithed now for four months in a row. And I still have debt. <laughs> you know what, Lord? I've, I've walked in love with all these people. I've, I've gotten the car, and I've screamed in the car by myself. I've, I've done all this stuff, you know, and I'm still smiling. You know, I've done this now for four months. I've walked in love, and they're still coming, you know, are ugly with me. It doesn't work that way. You live right. You speak right. You have the right attitude, and you do right for one and one reason only, because you love him and because he is the center of your life and he's on the throne of your castle. He rules, he reigns. He's not just healer, he is Lord. Amen. Can you see that? And we're in it for the distance. We're not in it for feelings. We're not in it for feel good. We're not in it for anything else, but because we love him and we are devoted to him. And that's our heart. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you helping us to renew our minds and to build a healthy heart and to have the right environment on the inside so we can live out and express on the outside what you would do and how you would live. And so, Father, we just honor you. We, we, we encourage ourselves in your word. We thank you that we can uh, experience you as a loving father, that we no longer have an orphan heart, that we have people around us that love us, that we have a church that has the right culture around us so we can really grow strong families, strong friendships. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that what you fill in us is what's going to affect the world around us. Father, you broke the fish and you broke the bread so it can bring forth life to a multitude and feed. And we pray that you would help us to break our hearts, break our minds, break the old molds that can bring forth life to all those that we come in touch with. And for all this, Father, we give you honor and glory and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.